We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined by my co-host, as always, Nick Pilato. Today we're going to dive into a little bit of opening day Giants training camp action. Obviously no media yet, no padded practices yet, but... Players have spoken to the media, at least some of them have. Will Hernandez, Evan Ingram, Marcus Golden. We're going to dive into all of what they said during their initial presser. Give you a little update on what they're seeing as they learn a new offense, learn a new defense, try to work their way through this pandemic, you know, style training camp, whatever you want to call it. We're also going to give a little, a couple bold predictions that both Nick and I have for training camp. And then we're going to dive a little bit into Nick's recent film and film analysis articles that he's posted and that he's published. So we're going to do a whole mix of a lot of different things on today's show. But before we get there, Nick, what's the latest in your life? Nothing much, man. Just doing the same old. I mean, now that football's really starting to ramp up, I've been diving deeper and deeper into 2019 film and hoping that there will be 2020 film. Doesn't look good for college football at the moment, but we're uh, holding out hope 
but we'll see how it all materializes and hopefully um we can see these guys on Sundays playing some football, possibly Saturdays now, too, if the uh, NCAA don't end up going, my man. Yeah, I will say this. It was a dark, dark day for me when I found out that the college football season might be canceled, though there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Kirk Herbtreet tweeted out recently, I, think, I believe a couple hours ago from when we are recording this podcast on Monday evening, that the Big Ten actually has decided or voted on and there's still no de- you know this is a vote that seems to be have happened but it's not actually official but it's actually to postpone the season not cancel it outright postpone not cancel outright thank god i want to see my badgers but i've said it once and i'll say it again if the badgers plan on trotting out jack Cohn at quarterback this season i'd rather there be no season at all um yeah straight up i'd rather there be no season at all i can't afford to watch i can't afford to, to put myself through that again yeah, I mean, I know you and uh, Jack Cohn, you guys aren't the best of friends, but dude, I'm really thinking, how is this going to impact the draft process? We're both big draft guys, and if there is no NCAA season, it's going to significantly impact the draft, and I wonder how much stock people are going to put into things like the Combine, so then you have guys who are just going to fall through the cracks, and there could be gems to be had, and some scouting departments can really shine in this kind of weird 2021 draft, if it goes as it may possibly go. Yeah, you made an excellent point there earlier that, you know, we know for a fact, I mean, it's not for a fact, but the report's already out there today. The NFL is going to pursue Saturday football if this happens and if college football does either postpone or if they cancel altogether. And what we know is that there's actually some light at the end of the tunnel there too because R.J. White, a fellow editor of mine at CBS Sports, came up with a really good idea. You know how teams all the time complain about playing on Thursday night football on short rest. NFL still has full plans, even in this COVID-induced season, to have Thursday night football. So why not, and this way you have no bias in picking who gets these Saturday games, put the teams on Saturday who are going to play the next day, uh, the next week on Thursday night. Give them that extra day of rest. It's an excellent idea, I think. Obviously, the NFL's already worked in some things like that on past schedules, doing Thursday night games followed by Monday night games and things of the like. But I think that's an excellent route they can go. But as you were saying before, how is it going to affect the draft? It's going to be interesting. People are going to have to rely on tape from last season. People are going to have to rely, I guess, on combine. I mean, it's really uh, – somebody tweeted about this day. I think Thor from uh, uh, the draft guy for Roto World tweeted, tweeted out, it's going to be the biggest – it's going to be the craziest draft ever. There's going to be so many misses. There are going to be so many bad picks and then value picks to counter that. It's going to be wild if there's no college football season. Yeah, no, I'm actually kind of uh, – I don't want to say I'm excited for that, but if the college season does end up not happening, that's one thing where it's like, well, this is going to be different. Let's, let's see if it turns into an absolute shit show or if it's actually something where the Giants can benefit from it and land some late-round gems because Gettleman does tend to have an eye for town, but we'll see if that materializes. Yeah, I like the fact that, you know, actually I think it could benefit a team like the Giants because Gettleman, while he does have an eye for town, I think he does an excellent job of grinding the tape. I think he also, on the counter side of that, has a has an issue with falling in love with players when he gets to meet them. You know, he fell in, as he said it, full bloom love with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones we like. We see the upside. I also see potential for downside with Daniel Jones. I am not sold on him yet as Giants quarterback, and I know you're not either. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a reach to some extent. I mean, let's be honest. He it wasn't like we were drafting Patrick Mahomes-type talent at number six. And then, you know, you go back a year before that. And then, and then there's Saquon Barkley, and that's a situation where, again, he meets the guy, he loves the guy. Yes, he loved his film, but it's a running back, and he's still, but he loves the player when he meets him. He's a guy he sees can be the immediate face of the franchise, like Daniel Jones. And again, these guys are excellent people to have in your locker room, to have representing your franchise, and you need that to some extent. But 
I don't mind Dave Gettleman going back to the tape and just relying a little bit more on actually grinding the tape rather than you know his meetings with the players. Ah, uh, yeah, I hundred percent agree. But we'll uh, we'll see we'll see what happens with that. But Dan, I would like to get into some bold predictions here, my man. All right, let's start with bold predictions, and we'll talk a little bit about what we saw today or what we heard today from the players. So I'm going to start with a bold prediction that I expect to come out of camp once they start to hit the ground running with padded practice again. We're going to dive into all that when that comes. The first one for me is going to be that Darius Slayton emerges as the Giants' clear-cut number one option in the passing game. Now, this is a highly contested point. I consider it a very bold prediction. There's a lot of people who think it's going to be either an even distribution. Some people think it's going to be gold. I've read a lot of you know fantasy content that believes Golden Tate's the best value in this receiver corpse, and Golden Tate will be the guy you want. Some people still think Sterling Shepard. He operates out of the slot, and in my opinion, he still is the best route runner on this team. Evan Ingram, maybe. Saquon Barkley going to get a lot of receptions. I'm going to go ahead and say Darius Slayton for a multitude of reasons. One, and this is most important to me, I'm a big believer in quarterback-receiver rapport. I always have been. I always will be. It's a reason why I tend to shy away in fantasy football from wide receivers changing teams and going to new quarterbacks. It's a reason that I believe some of these guys are as good as they are. Devontae Adams, you know, if you really look at Devontae Adams, the guy doesn't have breakaway speed. The guy doesn't really have great hang time in the air. He's not DeAndre Hopkins for contested catch situations. He's a great route runner. He sure is. But he also has has an unbelievable developed rapport with Aaron Rodgers. And what I saw during his rookie season from Darius Slayton with Daniel Jones, it started all the way back in rookie minicamp where they would spend time after practice every single day for at least an hour throwing passes together. Then that carried over into the early days of training camp. They would work with the second team. Then Slayton got injured a little bit in camp, missed some time in the regular season, but when he hit the ground running in week three, and that came after a preseason where he made some really big catches from Daniel Jones, but when he hit the ground running in week three, that rapport, bang, it was there, and it carried over through the season. I combine that with the fact that he's moving over to Jason Garrett's offense, a vertical Coriel-based offense where a receiver like him projects a lot better than a Golden Tate or Sterling Shepard or really anyone on this roster. I think he could be the featured receiver for Daniel Jones, and I think he will be, and I think it will become clear coming out of training camp. How dare you slander 2019 Randall Cobb and Jason Garrett's Kellen Moore's offense for the Cowboys? Because that seems to be the role that Golden Tate would fall into, right? Now, sure. I don't, I don't disagree with you, Dan, but I don't want to write off someone like Golden Tate either. I mean, Golden Tate had 40, was it 49 receptions, and 30 of them were first downs. It was like a ridiculous number like that. Yeah, it was 49 receptions, 30 of them were first downs last season, and he was a true safety blanket for Daniel Jones. But I can't write off Darius Slayton. If we're going to have to choose number one, I think I would have to agree with you. But I do think uh, Golden Tate, who I didn't really recognize this. I always knew he was really, really good after the catch, but I saw something floated around Twitter that he had the most avoided tackles after a reception from any receiver since 2015, including guys like Antonio Brown and really skilled receivers after the catch. And you go back, you look through some of his highlights with the Lions, and even if you want to go back to the Seattle days, he is exceptional at breaking tackles and avoiding clean hits from linebackers and safeties. And hopefully, I know he's getting a little long in the tooth. He's now 32 years old. He just turned 32 this month. Happy birthday, Golden Tate. Maybe he could still have some of that left in the tank, but... um. I, I would have to probably concur with you that it would be Darius Slayton if you had to choose a number one. I do see the ascension from a talent like him. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday TV. You can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and Direct TV Fantasy Zone channels. 
Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE or DealDash.FML BLUEWIRE. That's DealDash.FML slash BLUEWIRE. And I'm not knocking uh, Golden Date, let's be clear. I, I mean, you could look back... Or, you know, you could go back and listen to any of our podcasts from the middle of last season. And we would talk over and over on how, how on tape, Golden Tate was the Giants' best receiver. He was getting open in the middle of the field for Daniel Jones. He was making ridiculously tough catches in traffic, sometimes where he would get just destroyed. And that's a little bit on Jones. He's got to anticipate it a little sooner. But also, that was really, at times, the only thing that was open. He had to fit the ball into a tight window, and Golden Tate was there to make a play. This is not a knock on Tate, who came to the Giants having created the most forced missed tackles per touch of any receiver in the NFL since 2013 that carried over with another strong season, did not see any signs of slowing down. I think he's an extremely underrated asset. I was a fan of the signing at the time, even though people bashed it on Twitter. Why would you sign a receiver at this age? Ha ha, you just trade Odell. It was stupid because nobody was taking into account how effective he still was with the ball in his hands and as a receiver after the catch. It was like no one had watched his film. They were just looking at his age. And I didn't see a drop-off, like I said, so he's an excellent player. Again, these are a good set of weapons. I just think when you look at the offense and you combine that with the rapport that they developed, really dating all the way back to rookie minicamp, and it makes a difference, at least in my mind. I'm going with Darius Slayton. What's your first bold prediction for what's going to come out of Giants camp? My first bold prediction, and this is something that I feel like uh, could actually materialize, and that's Corey Ballantyne will win the boundary cornerback number two spot next to James Bradbury. I think Corey Ballantyne, we alluded to it last episode, I think he had a really tough start to his NFL career with uh, him being shot, his best friend dying on draft night when he was selected by the New York Giants out of Washburn. And I think he had a lot of obstacles he had to overcome, and now he's thrown into his second season with this COVID-19. He still doesn't have a training camp, but it's going to be more normal for him than it was last offseason when he was the only player on the Giants that was dealing with this obscene tragedy. I think that he can find his stride with the Giants now that DeAndre Baker's gone, Sam Beal opts out, and the only people he's really competing against are Ross Cockrell, who we'll get into a little bit later, who I do feel like has a really good, uh, he has a really good chance of winning that job. And then some of the other back-end roster guys for the boundary corner position. Because Starnay Holmes, I like him, and I think he should be considered. But 29.5-inch arms isn't going to get you there. So I think Corey Ballantyne, a six-round pick, who has elite athletic ability for a corner. His broad jump and his vertical jump, and you could see it on tape. His short area quickness and explosiveness is 
is excellent to elite level. It's just he has to become more decisive and he has to get better with it, uh, staying in phase and coverage. But I don't think it's an athletic thing. I think it's more of a mental thing. It's more of a decisiveness thing. And I think he can overcome that and he can possibly end up being a starter. And if he does, he's going to get picked on so much. So he really needs to kind of show that early on that he can kind of play at this level because teams aren't going to target James Bradbury if they have a six-round pick from the previous draft out there starting. So he right. so he needs to be ready for that. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think when we kind of look back at what Corey Ballantyne was able to do during his rookie season, it has to be taken with a grain of salt because this is a guy who went through ridiculous trauma, seeing his best friend shot and killed in front of him, and then was asked to play a position he's never played before in the slot and a position that doesn't fit his skill set. Now he's going to have the ta- the chance, obviously, <laughs> with DeAndre Baker and Sam Beal out, the obvious opportunity to prove himself on the boundary where he's always played, where he found success at Washburn, where, more importantly, he found success at the Senior Bowl, matching up against the best of the senior class at the wide receiver position. There were some really talented players at that Senior Bowl, including D. Bill Samuel, um, mm-hmm. and he's going to have an opportunity. But that leads into my second bowl prediction, Nick. But before we get there, I did want to bring up one thing from the last podcast. I have to make. A, I have to. I have to apologize to you, Nick, because uh, I, I had an omission from the last podcast. Yes, yes, my friends, friends of the podcast, uh, who pointed this out to me, you know, unabashedly and over and over and over again in my mentions. Yes, I know it's receiver core. <laughs> it's not corpse. I was way off on that. What was I even thinking questioning a Marine? What was I even out of my mind? Were people actually in your mentions about that? Oh, yeah. About <laughs> Dude, nine I, mentions. I, I love you guys. Thank you so much. Nine mentions just laughing at me, and I deserve it. I deserve to be laughed at for that egregious error. But I'd like to ask everybody if we can move on from that. I will, from this point on, consider it, call them their wide receiver core. I still am going to have to get used to it because I've been calling courts for a while. So like a dead, like a, I mean, sometimes I, you know, in the, some of those past Eli years, it was more like a wide receiver corpse. <laughs> but anyway, back to the bold predictions. This leads into my next one now that I've made my apology clear. And that's that Julian Love finds a home on the boundary. For me, when I look at it, yes, I want to wipe this plate, uh, the slate clean for Corey Ballantyne. But I also want to factor in that he was a six-round pick. And I also want to factor in that he has questionable, in my opinion, deep speed. And now, Julian Love is not someone who is a guy who's going to be a burner in the deep speed game. I mean, he's a guy who played the boundary in college for Notre Dame, which people don't realize he played it really, really well. But there were questions with his long speed. That's why he dropped in the draft. Where are you going to put him? Yada, yada, yada. I get it. He transitioned to a safety-ish role for the Giants last year. But I actually think when I look at this boundary cornerback position, and yes, I'm happy they added Ross Cockrell, but they still need depth at that position. And they still, I think at this point, I think it's more important for Love to transition back to the boundary than anywhere else in the defense. They're going to have, now, that doesn't mean he can't match up in the slot when they want to use McKinney in the box, or they want to use McKinney in the deep half, or they want to use you know, somebody else in a different role. Peppers, they don't want him in the slot. They want Peppers in the box and McKinney in the deep half. There's still going to be matchup. This is going to be a matchup-based defense. doesn't mean Love's going to only exclusively play the boundary, but I think he's he, he's going to find his home on the boundary. And what I mean by that is he's going to play the most snaps there. And I think he's going to compete to seriously have a role on this defense on the boundary because I'm not buying just yet into 
Ross Cockrell post-injury. He did not look like himself last season. Yes, he had a great season with the Giants, and he had a horrific injury with the Panthers. Came back, wasn't himself. New defense, new scheme, new system. All of that is good, and he was an excellent player. Still, what, 29 years old? But more of his own cornerback in my mind, not someone who I want to trust completely in this man coverage-based scheme. And so I'm not buying fully into him just pencils into the starter. And I've expressed my skepticism when it comes to Corey Ballantyne. So for me, love comes to the forefront. I'm kind of with you on Darnay Holmes. I don't think those 29 and a half inch arms are good. I mean, this is a guy who has competed on the boundary his whole career. He played it at UCLA. He was number one prospect at the cornerback position coming out of high school, five star. But, you know... With those arms matching up against NFL receivers, what the heck are you going to do when you have a matchup against like Chris Godwin and and Mike Evans? Or, you know, when you have two big receivers on the boundary, it's going to be tough. So I kind of see him moving into the slot. So for me, Julian Love, I think, will find a home on the boundary. And this boundary cornerback position is without a doubt, both the boundary and the nickel are without a doubt the most interesting positions now to me with the obvious decision from uh, Sam Beal and then obviously Sam uh, DeAndre Baker's situation. I think it's interesting. A lot of people are kind of pitching the safety out the boundary. And I think the Julian Love one makes a lot of sense. But uh, Pat Ragazzo of uh, SI, one of my colleagues over there at Sports Illustrated, he pitched uh, Jabril Peppers moving to the boundary. And I didn't necessarily agree, but he talked about the athletic ability of Jabril Peppers, the, the, the covering skills that he's had coming down from the robber position and I think it's a big transition period but when you talk about Jabril Pepper's work ethic and the amount of roles that he's been tasked to execute over the years in Don Brown's heavy man cover scheme and with Greg Williams with the uh, Browns and now with the Giants and James Betcher last season I thought it was an interesting pitch do I think it's going to materialize no not necessarily I think the Julian Love one is more realistic but I think the fact that we're kind of talking about this and we have the Giants, that is, the Giants have these players that can kind of maybe do a lot of these different things, a lot of these different assignments at a high enough level to where we all think, hey, maybe that's a possibility. I think that's a good thing to have that much young talent on the team. And on to Ross Cockrell, too, because you brought him up. He's definitely more of a zone corner. I agree with you there. But he is one hell of a player when it comes to run support, man. He is yes. incredibly aggressive at attacking big running backs, and he has no fear. Now, I know he played with Carolina, who was a zone-heavy team, and he played with uh, the Steelers back when they were a zone-heavy team. And when he was with the Giants, he was with Spags. That was a little bit more of a man coverage team. Granted, he implements a lot of different coverages on the back end. I'm not 100% sure that he would be great for man coverage, but I did see, actually, in some of his games, some uh, intriguing snaps I should say where he was able to stick into the hip pocket of people get underneath the route and disrupt uh receivers at the catch point and get some PBUs that way so I was actually came away pleasantly surprised by his film and I actually wanted to pitch this to you before I go into my next bold okay yeah I want you to dive actually well pitch this to me and then dive a little bit more into what you took away from uh watching Cockrell and film okay for sure I wanted to pitch this to you are the Giants better off now with Ross Cockrell than they were with Sam Beal Cause I think mm-hmm. I think that's a I think it's unpopular to I say think that. That's a fair. That's I a think fair it's fair. Statement. Yeah. That's a fair statement to make. Cockrell's a guy who's been there. He's done it. He had a really excellent season for the Giants when his one season. Then he had a really underrated career with the Steelers. Like people just didn't realize how good he was and effective he was with the Steelers. Then the Panthers signed him to a really solid contract because they thought he could basically build on what he showed with the Steelers and Giants. Fortunately, he had a horrific injury and then kind of didn't come back himself last year. So for me, it's kind of. I want to say the ceiling is definitely better than Beal, 
though you know Beal's ceiling is kind of still un- undetermined yeah, but that's true. the ceiling is probably better better than Beal but I'm a little bit worried about the injury situation with Cochran. I'm a little bit worried. Some of these guys just never really are the same after those kind of devastating injuries. We'll it see. was just a broken leg. Now, granted, it was his tibia and his fibula, which is – those are your two leg bones, yeah. uh, your lower leg bones. Yeah, it wasn't a cruise type one. Yeah, it yeah. Was, it was – you know, it was, and it wasn't the the Achilles, which you never come back from. You saw that with Jimmy Graham; his whole career has been a, a, a devastating, you know, yeah, just terrible yeah. since then. But and almost no one comes back from the Achilles, so you're right. But he just really didn't. I thought he wasn't himself last year. What did you think watching him? I thought that uh, he showed a lot of positive traits, especially in run support, and he had yeah. a lot of flashes where he actually did well on the boundary and in. And in the slot, now they ran a lot of cover three, a lot of cover four, a lot of just zone type. So basically, it wasn't as much line up man to man and stick with the guy as much. I didn't find or I didn't see as many reps like that throughout my film, and I watched a few different games. But there's a lot of turn towards the quarterback, shade and funnel everybody inside kind of coverage where you play to the outside portions of the wide receiver and you're playing tilted towards the quarterback so you're basically trying to funnel the receivers inside and when the receivers would break inside he was pretty quick to click and close uh quicker than i thought he was going to be so i when i you say that style of defense translated at all to what you've seen from graham not necessarily because Graham is much more of a man coverage. Granted, he can, I mean, he's going to employ some zone coverages as well. And I'm sure he can, he's going to be playing outside shade and stuff like that. Right. But I don't think Ross Cockrell is going to be a huge liability in this defense either. I think it was actually a solid signing. It's not going to get a lot of, no one's going to think it's overly sexy or anything like that, nor should they. But people tend to view him like, oh, he wasn't on a team, so he's probably not good. I don't think that's necessarily fair, especially in the COVID-19 landscape where people weren't yes, bringing yes. people in. So I think it was a it was a solid signing by Dave Gettleman uh, at a cheap price as long as it doesn't you know hinder the 2021 cap whatsoever. I think he can step in and, and be be a solid solid starter. He's not going to you know be a game changer. If he goes up against, like in the article I did for Big Blue View, he goes up against Devontae Adams, and Devontae Adams makes him look silly twice. So against those top competition, that's going to happen. But I think he can guard most number twos at a solid clip, and that's what the Giants are going to need him to do. And if you think about it, the tandem last year for the Carolina Panthers was James Bradbury and Ross Cockrell. Those were the two starting right. cornerbacks with Jackson playing more of a safety role. The kid from uh, what LSU. LSU yeah. yeah. So I like the signing personally, and I think the Giants got a good value there as long as the contract is reasonable and everything like that. But um, yeah, I like the um, deal, and I think a part of it is because he had played with the Giants, he knew the organization. Everybody who really walks in this building, besides Brandon Marshall, says really good things about being <laughs> Dude, what in. What was up with that? Man? I don't know. But <laughs> everyone else who walks in this building says really, really good things about the way they're treated, the cafeterias, like all the setup, like that. Like the Giants spend money on these players and the facilities, but. I think that played a role in him coming back. I think, like you said, there's. I just see it more as a ceiling and floor pick, uh, a ceiling and floor asset for the Giants at this point because of the injury situation with him. I want to see more of what I saw with the Giants than what I saw and with the Steelers than what I saw last season with them. And again, there was a lot going on with the Panthers. Even Bradbury had some struggles too. That wasn't the pass rush really. Once uh, Brian Burns was like playing with that shoulder injury and was just sat, his whole effectiveness was sat. They just had absolutely no pass rush going there. Like especially, worse than the Giants. Especially level. when Kyle Allen kept turning the ball over at yeah. such a clip because the defense just kept being, they were on the field yes. so much. So there's a lot to take away from that. Um, and I want to touch a little bit on the Dribble Peppers point because this is not a guy who's completely foreign to the idea. He played cornerback in high school. That's really where he came up, made his, as a 
cornerbacks. I mean, he played at Don Bosco, so I believe it was Don. Was it, was, it, Don? it was Don Bosco and Paramus Catholic. And Paramus, no, yeah. he, the Paramus Catholic he went to, yeah. yeah. And I saw him when he was with Paramus. He re- the first play of the game, he returned a kick for a touchdown. I mean, he was just a freak of nature player. But he came up as a corner and then really had some of his best reps in the college level at, at the nickel corner position. So, you know, this is a guy who maybe can do it. I don't know. Um, there's a lot to, to, to unpack, and I think that's gonna be, there's going to be a lot of matchup-based football from Patrick Graham, which is interesting. That goes into my next, uh, the bold prediction okay. too, because I don't think this is all that bold, but I think there's going to be, and I've been on the record saying this, the slot will be a rotation, but I think it's going to be a rotation between four players. Now, the three main ones everyone's talking about is Julian Love, Xavier McKinney, and Darnay Holmes, and that makes a lot of sense, but I also think this player is going to fix into it, and that player is Montre Hardage. Wow. I think Hardage might fix in. I think that with, is a bold, that's a bold prediction right there. Now, I think the with the Montre had such a bold prediction we didn't even talk about him that much in our secondary yes. breakdown so maybe you can touch on him now because i think we might have done him a little okay, disservice he, he went to northwestern so he's yeah. more than likely a very intelligent young man and he was with patrick graham uh the dolphins picked him up off the i don't know if it was a practice squad or if it was just the free agency they picked him up mid-season last year and they put him in the lineup and he played relatively well it was wasn't that much duty, but it didn't take long for Patrick Graham to bring him over to the New York Giants. And now with Sam Beal gone, DeAndre Baker gone, the fact that Montre Hardage is a safety, but he has a little bit of cornerback experience too. He has that versatility. I think that he could fit into this scheme. He knows the defense. I think that's a huge leg up in this yeah. really weird offseason that we're having. And if he's talented enough, I think he could see the field. The only problem is, how is he going to break into the lineup with these other talented players? So if injuries happen, I think he'll definitely do it. But he may even be, if he is able to kind of show, hey, I can belong here in the NFL, he might even see the field in some, you know, in, say, 12-play drive. You put Hardage on the field to sub out some of these defenders who are tired. I don't think that's something that's going to be crazy. I think he'll end up earning some snaps. Uh, sort of in the like of like what Antonio Hamilton did at certain parts of last season, like in week one with the Cowboys. You heard it here first, folks. Montre Hardage, Northwestern's own pride. Who would think that we're talking about a Big Ten corner or safety or defensive back coming in, playing a little nickel for the Giants, surprising everyone. And I love this call. You heard it here first. I think it's an excellent call, Nick. When you factor in the shortened offseason, the fact that guys like Chris Williamson are going to be behind the ball, the fact that basically everyone's going to be behind the ball in Patrick Graham's defense, and the fact that this guy's already played in defense, understands the concepts, is going to be able to really step in and somewhat teach it to some of these guys almost. Honestly, he's going to be able to teach it probably on the field. That's an underrated aspect, by the way, of having these guys. That's why I like the fact that the Giants brought in Fleming on the offensive line to help teach what Colombo wants. It's why I like these type of moves. And that's an interesting call. You heard it here first. Montre Hardage going to actually work his way into the slot and the nickel roll for the Giants. Nick Filato. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, That's bolder than anything I've dropped. <laughs> if we're going to talk about other players kind of, and I know Joe Judge said players will never be coaches, players are there to play, but I do think in this weird offseason, they're going to I think that's bullshit. Yeah. I think that's a little bit of coach speak. It, it, yeah, definitely. But uh, Cooper Rush and Colt McCoy can both fall into that. Cooper Rush coming from Jason Garrett's offense, and Colt McCoy – 2011 during the strike season he was a second year quarterback just like Daniel Jones going into his second year and what happened he couldn't touch a playbook until I think it was like right before training camp that started in like July so he had to learn this like new offense and everything literally in like a week and it just got him started behind the eight ball and his career never really ended up flourishing after that for probably other reasons but he's still in the NFL he's still an NFL caliber 
quarterback, somebody who has a lot more brains than, let's say, arm talent. But sure. he's uh, he's another player who can definitely help Daniel Jones in this strange offseason. Yeah, I like it. Interesting. All right, my last bold call, and then we'll dive into a little key takeaways from the Giants meet with the media, or from the Giants media sessions. And mine is going to be that Nick Gates beats out Cameron Fleming for the starting right tackle job. This is an interesting one because of a lot of things. A lot uh, for starters, Nick Gates has been training not only at tackle but at center. He's trained with Will Hernandez, and we'll talk about this in a second. Will Hernandez has touched on this, and he might be competing for the center role. I actually think he's going to be the starting right tackle in week one. I think he's going to beat out Cam Fleming for this job. I think he's best fit skill set wise at the right tackle position. We've talked about it in depth on this podcast. has a lot to do with his anchor. We both, both Nick and I believe he's a much better tackle than he is anything else really. A guard, which he was okay at. Center, we've never really seen him at. And this is a guy, remember, who has really good film, if you go back and look at it, at the tackle position at Nebraska. Then you look over with the Giants. He proves he can play the tackle position at the NFL level. I thought he looked really smooth when he was in pass protection at tackle. I don't see the issue there. I don't see the reason to try to force him at center, other than the fact that Spencer Pulley is a total liability. And maybe, just maybe, you know, it, <laughs> it is worth it. It's hard to say, but I think the for me, he's going to actually end up being the right tackle in week one. I think that's a good call. I, I don't know if I agree, though. I think, and I don't know if this is going to work out, but I think they're going to try to uh, maybe uh, fit some square pegs into some round holes and put yeah. Nick Gates at center. And I'm not trying to knock Nick Gates. We haven't seen it before. And like we said, Justin Britt has the same kind of build. So just the fact that he's taller isn't necessarily going to take away from the fact that he can play center. I just don't know if he's going to have enough power at the point of attack to really effectively have this offensive line get uh, allow Saquon Barkley to excel with his immense skill set because the anchor was an issue against Christian Wilkins. We saw it on like three separate reps where it was one-on-one. Nick Gates, all he had to do was seal Christian Wilkins away from the B-gap, and he couldn't. Christian Wilkins just dominated him. And Wilkins is a total stub, but he was also a rookie that year. So I do have my reservations with it, but I think, and this isn't necessarily a bold prediction, I think they're going to give him a realistic shot at that center position. And we might see the line be Zeitler, Hernandez, Nick Gates at center, and then Cameron Fleming and Andrew Thomas at the tackles. And that's something that could actually end up happening. And I'm not opposed to it, to be honest. I don't think necessarily it might work out, but I'm not opposed to trying it because I don't see it with Spencer Pulley either. Yeah. So you can possibly try it. I don't, I, don't, I don't have tons of faith in it as of right now, but I do appreciate Nick Gates' work ethic. I appreciate uh, what he's been able to do as an undrafted rookie free agent. And I think that he can, if he is able to get stronger, he'll able he'll be able to uh, master the mental side of playing center. But I do think he has a lot of chances to be a good, a, a solid to good tackle in this league as well. Because his footwork is really good. He can work well on an island. He showed it against the Jets. And he did well against the run at, out there too. So he really frames his box really well. So uh, I don't necessarily agree with you, but I can definitely see it happening too. Yeah, I think at this point, the tide has kind of gone in that direction. It's more popular right now to say that Nick Gates is going to be the center. He's going to win that center job. So that's kind of why I'm kind of putting it in the bold. I know it's not that bold, but I'm putting it in my bold predictions because I think the tide's kind of shifted. He's going to be the center. He's going to be the center. I, I still see him as a tackle. I still see him as a day one starting right tackle. I know that, you know, that says something about Cam Fleming, but I really think Fleming was brought in more 
um, as this swing guy. And we'll see. Because like you said, it's so hard to know until they hit the ground running with these padded practices. Because mm-hmm. we might see Nick Gates right in there as the second team center, boom, right away. And then you start to say, okay, things can start to get going. Because anyone who's listened to us, even one podcast talk about the offensive line, knows both of us are pretty anti-Spencer Pulley. Yes, yes. I was anti-Spencer Pulley in Pat Shermer's zone heavy scheme. I don't even know how much. I can't even put into words how much I'm going to dislike watching Spencer Pulley in a power gap scheme with fucking, excuse my language, with freaking Mark Colombo and Jason Garrett. I do not want to see Pulley on that field at center, but I think there are other options, and we've discussed it in the past. I believe they could look to the free agent market, especially as cuts happen, especially with the COVID, and there's still guys on the, on, that are available. Justin Britt, for example, you mentioned. Kilgore is available. Kilgore is available. And yeah, so there are options on the market outside of what they have on this roster. I'd say so. I'd definitely say so. We'll see if uh, Dave Gettleman and the New York Giants go that direction. So this isn't necessarily a bold prediction, but it's a question, and it's an over-under. Both of us like to bet, so I figured I'd pitch it your way, see what you think. So sacks, something the Giants, it's been kind of hard to come by for the New York Giants in recent history. So I wanted to set an over-under on the Giants sacks. So last season, they had 36. 2018, they had 30. 17, they had 27. 2016, they had 35. And then 2015, they had 23. Do you think the Giants, now that they retained Marcus Golden, say they play 16 games, do you think they'll crack 35 and a half sacks over-under? Well, first of all, let me just say I'm amazed to go back and hear the Giants actually had more sacks last season than they had during their awesome defense 2016 playoff season. That's a little crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to go through the games in my head and see some of the cheap sacks that they yeah, had, against, like, had. They had a- against Cody Ford and, like, rookie right. tackles and not to take anything away from the sacks. No, all teams but, yeah. are getting those sacks. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm going to go with the under. This is a Patriots-style defense. This is a Graham-style defense. This is not, you know, they it, there's going to be pressure. They're going to manufacture pressure, but I'm not sure it's going to – they're not going to get – I'm not sure how many of these like one-on-one battle pressure sacks they're going to get out of this defense. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of who's going to get those. Maybe Leonard Williams will attack in a couple finally, but that even seems a bit like a stretch. Um, you know, I'm still a bit skeptical on Lorenzo Carter winning one-on-ones, even though he showed it at times. He showed it in that Patriots game when he got some chances, but we'll see. So I'm going to go with the under, Nick. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing. I don't think that sacks are really any kind of indicator at all of a good defense. I've been on the record saying that before. I'll say it again. I'm not a big fan of sacks. I'm a big fan of pressures. I'm a big fan of pressures because they lead to court errant throws. They lead to bad timing with the quarterbacks and the receivers. They sometimes lead to tip passes, batted passes at the line of scrimmage. Um, and occasionally, you can get a forced fumble out of it, which I guess would technically be considered a sack. But uh, So we'll take that out of it. But I'm always going to prioritize pressure per snap over just the total sacks. I think pressures are the most underrated stat in football for sure. But I kind of think it could be over, man. Because I think the addition of Kyler Fackrell, you retain Marcus Golden, uh, O'Shane Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter are a year more progressed. I think if they do end up playing, if they do end up playing the full season with Leonard Williams too, I I think I don't think Marcus Golden gets ten sacks, but I don't think Leonard Williams gets one. You know, I think it's going to even out, and I could see it being like thirty six again, thirty seven maybe. So it might be a slightly over. So I'm going to actually go with over there. Okay, we'll have to see. Um, anyway, what were your key takeaways from listening to the players today? I spoke with the media. I mean, my my main key takeaway. I'll start by saying this: it's not good radio. It's not good for the pod. It's not good for the for anything is that these players have already really adapted the Joe Judge way. I mean, they're giving nothing, they're saying nothing, they're not Love talking it. anything specific. <laughs> but 
There were a few comments I thought that stood out to me. I mean, the first one was Evan Ingram, who really does sound like he is fully healthy. He talked about how the Giants sent a representative down there to Atlanta to help him train, to help him get going. He's coming off Liz Frank. Remember, this hasn't been talked about a lot. This Liz Frank injury is not a good one. This Liz Frank injury can be reoccurring. It can really debilitate you. It takes saps you from becoming the, from being the player you are. But if he's fully healthy now, again, I'm still a big believer that uh, in my injury agnosticism that he could have a fully healthy season. I'm not going to rule it out just because his name's Evan Ingram. There's a ton of luck that goes into injuries. Um, and none of these to me are really, of the, there's been a very few nagging types. There's been also, a, there's been a mix of the nagging types and a mix of kind of the bad luck injuries with Ingram. So I thought that was an interesting takeaway there. But as we move forward, I actually thought the most interesting thing we got out of today was from Will Hernandez when he talked about training with Nick Gates in the offseason. They're really good friends. They're both from Vegas. And Hernandez says he feels like Gates can play any spot on the line. He said next to me as well. It made it a specific point to say playing next to him, a.k.a. maybe the center position. He also talked about who he knew he was going to be a player from the start just based on his work ethic. And Alan, you love to hear that. That's probably the main takeaway. I, uh, which is something that I guess on Twitter it's been alluded to the fact that Nick Gates was taking snaps. Another cool thing, though, Andrew Thomas can sing, according to Will Hernandez. So I guess they're doing maybe some little rookie hazing and forcing them, uh, the kid to sing some songs. But he says that Andrew Thomas is really smart and he's picking things up in a really quick manner. He's always taking notes and he's just saying all the good things that you want to hear about a rookie. He's not falling asleep in meetings or doing anything stupid like some other Georgia draft picks were doing, you know. So I thought he had a lot of good things to say about some of the younger offensive linemen on the uh, on the New York Giants. And for Evan Ingram, I love the fact that he hit the Giants with the, uh, well, you know, Coach Judge doesn't want us to talk about if we're limited or if we're full participants. So he's doing exactly what his coach says. I kind of like that mentality, that Belichickian style that everybody kind of talks about. So uh, I think there's, um, I think he seems to be healthy at least from what he's saying. He's saying that he's running around. He didn't say that he wasn't limited, but that was more of a judge thing. It seems like he feels good. He's in good spirits. He says he feels good. So uh, I'm hoping that Evan Ingram can really be unlocked. He says that he's really motivated to learn this new offense from J- Jason Garrett. He hasn't talked to Jason Witten yet, but he may reach out to him and kind of pick his brain on some things, which is something I hope he does. I mean, Evan Ingram doesn't necessarily have the dad running thing down, but you know what? He can hmm. still learn a thing or two about nuanced hook routes that burn Wani Yunga uh, time and time again in week one. Huh? Jeez, the memories, the end of the memories. Yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> a fully healthy Evan Ingram is going to make all the difference in this offense. We know that. A couple other key takeaways I wanted to touch on, though, that really interest me. Hernandez sounds like he freaking loves to play with Mark Colombo, and he said it's awesome having somebody who's actually been there and done that. Ten years plus playing, he's one of the guys. And that's really an interesting thing to me, to get coached from somebody who was an offensive lineman recently, by the way, not too long ago, instead of a Hal Hunter type. I think it makes all the difference for these guys. These guys want one of them. Like Hernandez said, he said, we're different breed offensive linemen. We're, we're just different human beings. And to have someone who actually can relate to them because they played the position, to me, makes a massive difference. It's a such a relatability thing. And, and I mean, I know... Uh quarterbacks have said this too like quarterbacks relate more with coaches who were quarterbacks because sometimes when a quarterback makes a mistake the coach's first thing to do is to just get after him you know and start yelling and sometimes you know quarterbacks just want to process everything what they saw what they said and they need a bit, a bit of space to kind of process everything so they don't make a mistake next time they have to take the field 
And sometimes quarter, former quarterbacks who are now coaches, they understand those kind of things. They understand those little subtleties about the quarterback position. And I'm sure it's similar for the offensive line, where offensive line blows a blocking assignment. Sometimes the offensive lineman doesn't just want to get his ass chewed, you know. Maybe he needs a second. And maybe a, somebody who used to play the position knows how to actually approach somebody after they make a specific mistake. And it's all about knowing your personnel, too, because one person, you could chew me out all day and I won't be offended, but somebody else you do that to, it might destroy their mental capacity right. for, in order to play. So it's a lot of psychology behind that too. But I no, I think the relatability factor is huge in coaching, uh, especially in football. And then finally, I thought it was interesting that Hernandez said the offensive line absolutely loves the new Jason Garrett scheme. N- not a big surprise to me, by the way. <laughs> this is going to be power, gap, extra heavy personnel at times, smash mouth. They're going to run the football a lot, which is going to frustrate us, by the way, at times. I promise you there's going to be times we want the Giants to pass the ball based on the fact that what the box looks like and based on the fact that down and distance. But this is an offense. Remember, the Giants want to establish the run and they want to they basically want to hide their defense. That's if you look at that that fourteen and two Cowboys team from the season the Giants were uh, made the playoffs in twenty sixteen. That team had a really bad defense that would nobody realized because it was hidden by the fact that the Cowboys had the best time of position in the NFL. They held the ball the entire game. It's exactly what the Giants want to do. It's exactly what Jason Garrett wants to do, and he believes help, to help him do that is to control the ground game. And he's not wrong about that. If the Giants are, you know, a lot of people are anti-run, anti-run. I also believe, don't worry, I'm not the type of person who's going to stand here and go old school and tell you that passing isn't better than running. Passing definitely is better than running. I almost always believe a short pass is is always a better option on first and 10 or second and 10 than running the football. But, but having said that, when you have a defense that, let's face it, is still in transition mode. This is a defense that got screwed by the situation at cornerback. Let's be honest. They don't have any elite edge guys who can win consistently one-on-one at least. At least not yet have proven that. This is going to be one of the worst defenses in the NFL. I don't know if it's going to be bottom five, Nick. I think the scheme can kind of help it like it did with Miami. Listen, Miami didn't have much talent either, and they didn't have a bottom five defense because Graham did a really good job. I think it's possible here in New York that they can get somewhere closer to the middle of the pack, but it's going to be below average, I think. I think that's pretty obvious when you look at the talent, but you can hide that. You can make that look a lot better than it is. You can dress up that pig by just controlling the ball on offense. And I love that Hernandez loves what he's seen so far from the system because he knows he's going to get a chance to move forward, run block more often, and do it less less so in this inside zone, Pat Shermer way, and more so in this Jason Garrett, Mark Colombo, power and gap, smash mouth way. Yeah, and a lot more duo and things like that. too. Yes. Plus, establishing a running game allows you to hit play-action passes, mm-hmm. which is something that the Dallas Cowboys did a ton through the first three weeks of the season. They are, they ran so many play-action passes, and then the next three weeks, they kind of died off a little bit. I was looking at statistics, and they lost all three of those games. Now, that could be game script uh game script things that kind of go into that as well but still speaks to having an effective rushing attack allows you to get creative allows you to use play action which can open up the field for bigger plays especially if you're targeting uh if your a dot on the passes uh on the play action plays are much further because obviously that might lead to bigger plays so hopefully the giants can really get that down this is debate for another podcast nick we're not going to dive into this now but i actually would disagree with you on that i believe that the play action passing game is not dependent on a strong running game I'm a big believer in that. I think the linebackers are reading the keys regardless. But it's a debate that we can have on another day. Oh, they're definitely reading their keys, but they're also going to 
react a different way if they're getting gashed by the run. Sure, sure, yeah, that's so, fair. Yeah, if, if you okay, I think we can agree on that. Yeah. All right, Nick. Anything else from the interviews today? It was really just those three players, and again, not much from Golden. Yeah. So we're not even going to get into that, really. Honestly, there wasn't much from really and yeah. many of them, but I thought there were just those little things that we brought up that were kind of interesting. I guess. Sure. You say. Cool. All right. Anything else you want to touch on from your recent film studies or anything else before we jump off and hit 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 up everybody again when there's a little bit more going on in camp? You guys can pay attention to what I'm doing over at Big Blue View and Sports Illustrated. I just came out with a few different pressure articles for Sports Illustrated. That's Giants Country, if you look that up on the Google machine. Uh, we came out with a five-man pressure package and how the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins, and then I even used some Cincinnati Bengals defense because I was watching the Bengals play against the Dolphins and the Patriots, and I was like, wow, these guys are using some unique uh, twists and stunts too. But uh, basically, I came out with two articles, one about five-man pressure packages. The other one was about four-man pressure packages and how they use linebacker twists and double slants with linebacker loops coming around and how they kind of manipulate and get offensive linemen to not be blocking anybody by using overload bluffs and things like that. So there's a lot of good information in there that you guys could just check out. I want to say the five-man pressure one was posted four days ago as of Monday night, and the four-man pressure one was posted, I think, yesterday. So you should definitely go check them out. There's a lot of uh, good information in those. And Nick's underselling it. Let's let's be clear here. I mean, I've looked at these pieces. These are not just articles talking and touching on five-man pressure packages and four-man pressure packages you're going to see from Patrick Graham. These are film study articles with clips from the film broken down, illustrating each play. So when everyone says that we break down plays during the season when we go over our film review and you'd love to see it in actual you know, see what players we're talking about and see them broken down, well, well, Nick's going to do that, and he has done that in these pieces. So head over there. On my end, you can check out some of my work on CBS Sports. Did a little fun piece recently building the all-time Giants 53-man roster. Had to narrow it down to just 53 players, then built a depth chart out of that. So that one was a lot of fun. Got a lot of positive and negative feedback from that. I actually included Zach Diossi as the long snapper and then got a little message from Steve Diossi saying, you spelled Steve wrong, which I thought was funny. Uh, A couple other Giants got into it with me, Carl Banks as always. So good times there. Otherwise, guys, we're going to hit you up again soon as more develops in training camp. We're still kind of in these early stages, I feel like, with camp. There's no practice. There's no depth chart movement. But we're getting there. We're getting closer. So stick with the Big Blue Banter podcast. Follow us on iTunes, on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. And as always, do us a favor. Leave us a review and a rating on iTunes if you haven't already. Other than that, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your wagering expert.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.